Hello and welcome. This is another episode of Future SciChat. Uh, this is our fourth episode of Future SciChat. And this week, we will be talking about everyone's favorite beverage. That's beer. Uh, I guess, in theory, we could talk about other brewed beverages, like cider, for instance. But uh, for now, we'll just we'll leave it to beer. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by Nick Maddox and Mike Cottrell. How are you guys? Doing great. This Good to hear. Beautiful Saturday morning. Um, today is actually a very special day, not only because we're doing beer as a topic, which I know that I have been waiting for since before these were even science-based, um, but we have an actual brewmaster with us. <laughs> a literal brewmaster, Nick. <laughs> literal. And you literal. have... You have a beer that you are currently brewing right now that you're going to test for us. Well, I'm actually finished brewing. Well, yeah, uh, fair enough. The brewing was finished. And so over the lesson ago. starts. <laughs> um, it it was then fermented for a week, and uh, now it is in the bottle conditioning phase. <laughs> so, uh, I I don't actually think I can show you. There's like dead yeast at the bottom there. And uh, theoretically, they're making this bubbly. However, I'm worried based on exactly how I did it that I might be making bombs out of these. (laughs) (laughs) And so So, how might that happen? Well, uh, if you put it in a sealed container too soon, like you add a little bit of sugar to wake up the yeast uh, before brewing, but if you you know, take it from the primary fermenter and put it into a bottle before all of everything has been metabolized. And it should have been metabolized because I checked, but there will be too much pressure in there and then they can explode. Hmm. So in the interest of prudence, I'm going to crack this one after about three, four days. It will like it will hopefully be flat. Otherwise, a horrible mess will be made. What, and, so what uh, would you do? Would you just take them all outside and let them... Well, these ones are an easy resealable design, so you would just pop it and recap it. Okay, you just vent it just a little like bit. Just like vent yeah. it, yeah. Okay. So I, I also have a beer here with me. Uh, Mike has an, a different brew. Um, but, so we're going we're gonna to have fun on this episode. Why don't, you, why don't you give it a try, Nick? Okay. Fingers crossed? All appendages crossed. Can you see that? I yeah. Oh yeah. There we go. What what am I looking at? Oh yeah. Side right there. Just, just a little tiny bit. (laughs) So it's not going to explode, guys. Yay! (laughs) So, let us know. um, This is your second home. It's actually fizzing. Oh my God! There's a head on my beer. You have no idea. This took so long to happen on the other one. <laughs> so And leaving just a little bit in the bottom because gross yeast. Yeah. But uh, let me see if I can... There's an actual Ooh, appreciable head on that one. That looks yeah. delicious. Yeah. <laughs> this is an American IPA. I don't know what makes it American. <laughs> 
Considering the IPA is strong, Britain, uh, but strong yeah. hints of uh, freedom from, from Britain and cold Beef. Indian <laughs> oil. <laughs> yeah, one of the things I learned in my extensive research is that the India pale ale um, comes from the, the they call it India because when they were sending it to India, they needed to add extra hops in order, which acts as a preservative, and so. Um, when they did that, they brewed it with extra hops hmm. to get it to India. They ended up calling it just an India pale ale. Otherwise, it's the same as a regular pale ale. But with more hops. But it ends up, yeah, so it ends up being stronger and more bitter. Hmm. Yep. Interesting. It was one example in English culinary history where uh, the English actually tried something where, like, damn, uh, things with flavor actually taste really good. Like... <laughs> We should try doing more of this flavor thing. Yeah. We, uh, I, I did probably not the most research, but near the most research I've ever done for one of these for this episode um, because I wasn't too up on the science of beer. Um, but I've actually got a couple notes here that say that the English actually have it right when it comes to the science of beer uh, in that they drink it warm because cold beer actually masks the flavor uh, or in the case of American macro brews, the lack of flavor that a lot of their beers have. So drinking it cold while while making it more refreshing and probably seeming more delicious, you're actually missing out on some of the the full-bodied flavor of especially darker beers. Mm -hmm. My hypothesis there is that you don't actually want beer, you just want something fizzy that will get you drunk. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and at that point you may as well have a cooler, which... It's also delicious and fizzy. Although those are marketed towards women, and you got to be a man. you got to drink a beer. Dang beer with the blue mountains on the can. And <laughs> extra cold. God dang beer. It's got the cold indicator and everything. Yeah, so you're saying real men drink Coors Light. That's what, <laughs> is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> I'm saying that's what the marketing would have you believe. Yeah. I thought one of the mountains is Kokanee. No, it? it's... Coors have no, mountains too? Uh, yeah, it, no, it has mountains on the can, but the can actually, the mountains change color based color. on how cold the beer is. Right. Yeah. <laughs> really brilliant marketing, I must say. And good science. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I thought was, um, when, when we were talking about this episode, uh, Nick, you raised an interesting point that is this actually a future side chat because... How much do we really have to say about the future of beer and the future of brewing beer? Well, I mean, the thing is that when you're talking about beer, you're talking about something that is basically as old as civilization itself. Like, all the archaeological, historical evidence, anyway, appears to point to the idea that, for Western civilization, anyway, about the time that we got together and started making agriculture a thing that happened... It was not too long after that that we figured out beer. Right. Well, basically, we had to domesticate uh, hops and barley in order to brew beer. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, think, like... Well, yeah, go ahead. No, it's like... And, I mean, in an era before potable drinking water, like, beer was a beverage that ended up getting boiled and sterilized in the brewing process. So... Like, it's hypothesized that there is the existing stereotype that 
people of Southeast Asian heritage don't tend to handle their liquor nearly as well. Right. But the idea is that since beer was so integral in building Western society, like the society is the figured beer out were the societies that tended to thrive. So we actually have more, uh, I think it's acetaldehyde dehydrogenase in our stomachs in yeah. the Western world of Western descent. And the reason for that is that we've actually like evolved over the time scale of beer to handle alcohol better. <laughs> I, I, that's so fascinating to me though. Like yeah. we have actually evolved to be like, okay, listen, this beer thing needs to happen for civilization to really take hold. So we got to figure our stuff out stomach and stomach's like, yeah, okay, we can do this. We got this. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the same, the same thing happened going off topic a bit with milk. Um, Eastern yeah. culture tends to be a lot more lactose intolerant, whereas people <clears throat> in the British Isles and Northern Europe were drinking milk and beer like crazy. And so we're a lot better equipped to handle it. Eating cheese. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things one of the, the things that I think a lot of people who enjoy beer should do as as Nick instructed me to do is to watch or listen to the podcast from uh, How Stuff Works, uh, which is stuff you should know, and uh, specifically their episode on beer. So they go into a bunch of detail and. They talk about, and one of the things that I wanted to talk about, because it's the, it is the future of, of beer, especially in, in Western, uh, I guess, North America, is that craft brewing and microbrewing is having a huge resurgence, and it's at, as uh, basically, it's almost at the peak that it was in the 1800s when it first started really taking off here. Um, even one of our guests today is doing his own craft brewing. And you've said yourself that it wasn't very expensive. That I mean, you got the kit as a gift, but the kit itself isn't super expensive. And once you have it, you can basically go make your own beer for very little extra money. Yeah. And I mean, a kit usually runs you, depending on the kit, mine were a little more expensive. Thanks, Mom! <laughs> because... Uh, they actually came with like specialty grains and stuff like that for actual like more flavor and stuff like that. But I mean, I just brewed about 20 liters of beer for 40 bucks, which is less than half of what you would get on the market for that. Sure. Or less than half the price of right. what the equivalent market would be. Yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, it's it obviously does take some effort to do it. So your time is worth something as well, but it's not, unless you unless you tell me differently, it's not a huge investment of time, it's maybe a few no. hours? Uh, all told, I think cooling it off is the biggest time commitment, but you're probably looking at about, let's see, I bottled with the help of a couple other people in about an hour, and if you include the boil time, about three hours, maybe four, to do the initial brewing. So less than five hours. That's pretty impressive, I gotta say. You also get delicious beer. Yes. Delicious <laughs> cheap beer. And, like, if you get past the kit phase, you can start, like, tailoring it to your individual tastes. So you get 
instead of relying on other people, you can get exactly the beer you want. Right. Plus the, the priceless satisfaction of doing it yourself and drinking beer that you made. Taking, play, taking part in a millennia-old tradition. Literally millennia have passed. <laughs> okay, so I, I have a, a science question regarding beer. Um, so you know how the show, I think it was bullshit that they did the wine blind taste test with the wine experts and they, they tested the power of suggestion and um, the preconceived notion that expensive wines taste better, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. You guys, I'm sure you guys have heard those types well, of studies before, right? That you yeah, can yeah. tell red and, white, what red and white wine apart based on their taste. Oh, if they were colored the same? Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, so they've done those. But I'd like to know if you'd see similar results with beers and if you tested people's biases towards specific brands or the size of the brewery or price. So like you just mentioned, you know, it's cheap and delicious, right? Do people look for the more expensive beers and say, oh, yeah, this is a really good beer, if they know how much they paid for it as opposed to if they thought they paid less or if they didn't know that it was expensive or that kind of thing. So because, like, when I, when I go to a, when I go to, um, like a beer store, I look for things that I haven't tried before, right? If I see like a Budweiser or whatever, like I just personally, I've never actually liked the taste of Budweiser. Molson Canadian is actually not bad, yeah. but like you know, I, I, I I'll still I'll still avoid it if I can because like oh I don't want to have like the mass market stuff. I want to have like something new. But then I've, I'll buy an import and then someone will say oh yeah that's made by Budweiser, but just over in like Japan or something, right? Yeah, it's like Anheuser Busch. Yes, Anheuser Busch their brew there, and I'm like, oh, it's actually not bad. So it's like, okay, well, how often does that actually happen where, you know, you, you have these biases towards one way or the other, and then it actually doesn't make that much of a difference when you control for it in an experiment setting. Like, what, what have you guys found in your experience when you're trying different beers? Yeah, can I say something first and then let Nick give a fuller answer? Um, I'm pretty sure Pabst Blue Ribbon is, like, a gourmet beer in Japan. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Yeah, um, and, and I have an anecdote to tell after this, but Nick, why don't you give a scientific answer? Um, in terms of perception, like, I may be way off here, but I think with beer anyway, you're looking at a much broader palette of things to flavor with. So, like, perception heavily influences uh, vodkas, I know, um, and wines, things like that, but I feel like there's only so much you can do with the flavor of wines and spirits and stuff like that. I mean, unflavored spirits. But with something like beer, where, I mean, comparing a Sapporo to an IPA, like, completely different things. Mm -hmm. Um and the other thing is you don't face nearly the price variance, I don't feel, in Canada anyway, because we have such high minimum prices for alcohol sales. So I'm not sure, like, the other thing is I know, like, 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 <laughs> um, a lot of effort is put into marketing with, uh, wines and spirits and stuff like that to make them seem extra fancy so that people will buy them. Um, I'm not sure beer is marketed in 
the same way. Like, I almost never see an ad for beer that says you should drink this because it tastes good. You see them, you see them like, you should drink this because you're a fun-loving kind of fella. And, uh, and there are girls beer, in bikinis here. Yeah, beer's, <laughs> beer's the drink for men that like frolicking with bikini-clad ladies and, you know, stuff like that. So I think the marketing tack is slightly different. Well, well, now now that you have the big breweries trying to look like craft craft brew, yeah, beers like you have oh. Keith, you have Keith starting to diversify their flavor profiles and making their cans all colorful and patterned, and even I've read stories on Budweiser like literally coming out with brands under different names to pass as microbrews when they're still like, they're still brewed by Budweiser. Sure. There is a microbrew called Cremor Springs that was acquired by Molson Coors. It might have been Molson at the time, but they yeah. like looked at the craft yeah. beer market and they were like, "Oh my God, we have to acquire this yeah. smaller one." Yeah, no, th th this was one that the beer was literally brewed in their brewery, and it was a Budweiser beer, but they're marketing it under a different name. Like it still said, "Oh, brewed okay. by Anheuser Busch on the can," I think, but it was it was. Did under they vary the recipe at all? I have no idea. I, I don't I, know the backstory. Because these people have been doing this for generations. They do know how to make beer. Mm -hmm. They have brewmasters that are very good at their job. Um, on, on, a, on the note of quality, I want to tell a little story about my old professor, Dave Bryce, uh, who works at, in the chemistry department at Ottawa U. Uh, we have a, a beer pub in our little Italy in Ottawa. Um, pub Italia! Pub Italia, yes. <laughs> And they have they have like hundreds of beer taps, and they have even more in bottles, and they have specials that come in every week. Uh, and so my old supervisor would go into that restaurant when we would go as a group, or when he would go with people, and basically ask the waitress to surprise him, like to give him a, a beer in a nondescript glass, and he would try to guess what the beer was, just based on flavor and color. And, and the one time I saw him try this, he actually got it right. And hmm. so I find it hard to believe that someone would be, be able to do that with wine. But beers do have very distinct flavors. And even that that wasn't actually uh, like a very fancy beer. It ended up being Stiegel, which is a pretty... It was also the Stiegel Rattler, if I recall that story correctly. <laughs> but uh, so I, first of all, I was very impressed by that. But second of all, I feel like that, even though it's anecdotal... I, he does it on a regular basis, so I don't think that you can really say to the same degree that um, that beer is all about perception. Like it, the different ones do have different tastes. Yeah. Well, with with wine, you have the different vineyard types or whatever. You have like your Merlots and your I don't know Sauvignon, whatever. I don't know Merlot. <laughs> right. So like I'm sure someone who's drinks wine could. Pinot Grigio. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I'm sure you could pick between those, but I don't think you'd be like, oh, this is like a 95 Merlot, like just based on the taste. Like, right, not necessarily the age, but no. Yeah, from from what I've seen, a lot of the people who say that they're wine experts have a hard time doing blind taste tests. Yeah. And maybe Dave would have a different pro or a different proposition if he was asked to do a blind. Like they're literally they can't see the beer, they can't see mm -hmm. the wine. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be a little harder because a lot of it does come from the color and the texture of it, mm -hmm. the way it looks. I was still very impressed. Rightly so. 
And I mean, like, not long ago, I was out with my friends, and I walked away from the table, and I came back, and they'd ordered another pitcher while I was absent. And I was like, oh, okay, well, this could be interesting. I tried some, and I stopped, and I, you guys ordered the Rolling Rock Blonde. <laughs> and they were like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like, it is possible to pick them out that way. Yeah. It, I mean, <clears throat> that instance might be a little different because I'm assuming they didn't have hundreds of taps. You probably knew what was on. No, there were like seven taps or so. <laughs> <laughs> but it is it is interesting when beers do look the same, but you you get one that that's not right. Yeah. It's sort of like telling Diet Coke from regular Coke in that instance. <laughs> this tastes like aspartame. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I wanted to briefly talk about, and I don't know too much about it, so maybe I, I won't go into too much detail. Maybe, Nick, if you could fill in blanks, is some of the interesting science that goes into making certain specific beers, like Guinness, for instance. Um, one of the interesting things that I heard or that I, was, uh, that I saw the first time that I had Guinness, I had it in one of the bottles. It was one of the first, I think the first time they introduced it in bottles. Uh, it's got the little, basically, it looks like a ping pong ball, but it's a little bubbler filled with nitrogen. Widget, I think they yeah. called it. As, I forgot that they used that word because I have it in a totally different part of my brain now, but <laughs> call it a widget. Um, but I thought it was really interesting that Guinness used nitrogen as a gas to pressurize it. Um, I'm, I'm assuming there's still some carbon dioxide in there, but it's not the main one. Um, do you know anything about, I mean... Obviously, the bubbles in Guinness are talked about a lot, and they're a little bit different from the bubbles in normal beer. They're a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can lose certification. Uh, you can lose your ability to pour Guinness if you do it poorly. <laughs> like, if you... No, like, no <laughs> pour in pour. beer world. But no, legitimately, if, like... I guess they can, like, test you on it, and if you pour one with inappropriate head amounts, it they will, like, not let you do it anymore. <laughs> but there's actually, like, a... It's, like, the companion to periodic table of videos, but the physics one, I think 60 Symbols. Yep. Um, I think 60 Symbols did, a, did a, an episode on the foam in Guinness, specifically, because they use nitrogen. <clears throat> and the reason for that is that... Uh, Carbon dioxide bubbles, which are the normal bubbles you find, end up being... So they participate in the carbonic acid equilibrium, which Rob will know about. Mm -hmm. So you can actually dissolve the gas and, like, exchange back and forth that way in a liquid, whereas nitrogen isn't nearly as soluble in water. So the idea is that you can have that perfect foam, that perfect head, and the beer that it sits atop will not interfere with it at all. Right. And so... From what I understood, and maybe I'm rem remembering this wrong because it was a while ago, the bubbles in nitrogen actually appear to sink instead of rise, which I thought was also interesting, and it has to do with the fact that it's nitrogen. I got nothing. Like, yeah, the, the, the head will be sitting atop it, but then the bubbles will, f will seem, I don't know if they actually do, but they seem to fall down instead of rising up from the bottom. Oh. Oh, is that like the kind of milky phase? Yeah. Where it looks like a thing of chocolate milk and you have to wait for it to settle. Yeah. yeah. 
So is is the nitrogen contributing to the fact that it's a flatter beer as opposed um, to more bubbly? I guess. Like, the other issue is, uh, so there probably won't be nearly as many dissolved gases to give you that acidic tingle to your tongue, I guess. But um, I think since you always have the foam sitting on the top, it contributes to the mouthfeel of the beer, which they want to be very specific and very controlled, which is why they have the widget. Um, but mouth you find mouthfeel in a variety of beverages. Um, like my espresso machine, for example, puts a crema on top of the actual coffee, which legitimately, if you have a flat shot of espresso, you can taste the difference. I love the word mouthfeel, by the way. That's one of my favorite words the first time I heard it. It's just so good. It's a technical term, mouthfeel. <laughs> can, can we go back to the cold versus warm beer Yeah. talk? Because I don't think I've ever encountered a pub that serves any variety of brew at room temperature the way it's quote-unquote intended to be. If anything, they'll give you a frozen glass and pour the beer inside of it. Yeah. Yeah. And and I I've heard the Guinness community outraged by the fact that they're even cold, let alone in a frozen glass. Yeah. Well, I believe the reason for that is um, <clears throat> America. <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> Thank you for censoring yourself. <laughs> um I've missed censoring myself a few times on the podcast, so I'm glad I'm catching up. <laughs> um, it's interesting because a lot there are a lot of, and I've never been to the UK, but pubs in England do serve beer warm, like as a rule. And I think, I haven't seen any in Ottawa that do, but I, I believe that when I was in Halifax, they served some beer warm. Hmm. Maybe that's just because they're closer to their... That they're uh, <laughs> English roots. Motherland. <laughs> <laughs> Although, if we're being serious, uh, Nova Scotia would be Scotland, so... <laughs> I was going to... Yeah, anyways. Yeah. What's, what's your opinion on that, Nick, about... Have you have you had room temperature beer before? Um, the beer I'm having now is more or less room temperature. Um, <laughs> there are also, like, I, I will actually, like... Uh, I will sometimes sample a beer cooled and at room temperature just to see what the difference is. Hmm. Like, I, I think I did that with some of the Wild Rose brewed stuff that I've had before, but... Yeah. yeah. You know what? Usually, though, usually I'm drinking it cold because cultural influences. Well, you're used to it. Like, you know... I don't know. I like a cold beer. It's... I mean, on a cold day, or a hot day, it's just, you don't want a lukewarm beverage, you want a cold <laughs> beverage. Although, apparently, that's another, like, distinctly American thing, to yeah. want a cold beverage. Scientifically, a hot beverage actually cools you more. Over induces, the course induces, of consumption, yes. Induces sweating. Induces sweating and relief of <laughs> internal heat. That does not count. <laughs> yeah, I was... 
One of the interesting things that I learned yesterday, again, from this the beer podcast, uh, is that the word lager is actually German for storage, like to store. <laughs> and it refers to the fact that they stored it in, like, in cold temperatures to allow, uh, like, that... That is literally the only difference between uh, ales and lagers is the temperature that they're stored at. It's also the yeast, though, because like yeah. ale. Well, no, like because the ale uh-huh. yeast I use will sit on the top, and it actually like thrives at higher temperatures. But you can try and do a lager at higher temperatures, and it just won't work as well, apparently. I've always found ales to be stronger flavored. I don't know if that's maybe just my part of that is the yeast perception. Like, the yeast that you find in Bavaria is often lager yeast, like the wild yeast just floating around, and it tends to contribute less favor, less flavor to the brew, as I understand it. Hmm. Um, and ales, like even the smell of my last two brews were entirely different, and it was in, it was almost entirely due to the different yeasts that I used. Hmm. Like, they actually advertised this yeast packet that I have as being, since it's for an IPA, they didn't want as much flavor contribution from the yeast itself. So they actually used, like, a, a yeast with less flavor. It's still got some of the fruitier notes that I had from the last one, but, yeah. Hmm. There's a non-trivial contribution to the flavor of the beer from the yeast. If you ever have Fang du Monde, that's a very, very fruity fruity beer, and I guess it's the yeast contribution. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that, uh, what brewery is that that does Fendi Mond? Uh, Unibrew. They have a couple of good ones. I, I, I don't remember tro- like the names of all of them, but I remember seeing that the, bo- like the bottle, the brewery is the same, and I remember enjoying the ones that I tried. Yeah, they've got uh, Chamblay and Mozi are a couple other ones. Very nice. Good time. <laughs> so before we get to what I understand is a big gripe of Nick's, I want to talk. Um, I want to just ask you guys to take an informal poll um, about with the resurgence of craft breweries. Um, do you guys think, just off the top of your head, would you say there are more podcasts in the in North America or craft breweries? That's such a, a good of, question. A lot of both, and they they overlap in so many ways. <laughs> I'm gonna say more podcasts. I'm I'm gonna you know, agree. Probably, I think it's more podcasts. You know, it's probably the other way around. I think I my first instinct would be more podcasts. What if we include? I mean, a craft brewery is a is a very specific thing. Like it's an actual brewery. But yeah. what if you include people like Nick? Who are just homebrewing. Oh, that doesn't count. No How do you Nick. even know? No, no offense to Nick, but <laughs> that doesn't count as a craft brewery. No, no, no. Oh, I'm sorry. I believe this this uh, qualifies <laughs> as a Pico brewery right now. <laughs> no, but that's that's my question. Is what you think? Are there more people brewing beer or making yeah. podcasts than brewing beer? Okay. It's got to be beer yeah. then. Yeah. yeah. Okay. There's no way to test this. There's no way to. No. <laughs> I thought you had an answer. I thought, yeah. Oh, you don't have an answer. <laughs> I don't have an answer. Oh, no, oh come on. Neither of those are questions on the census. There's what do you no think way it is? It. What would you say it is, Rob? Uh, I would have to say 
having looked through the podcast database, there's probably more podcasts. Even including individual brews, like brewers? Including individual brews. I think just... I don't, I don't know. There are there a lot of people... A lot of people making moonshine out there. Uh, I was going to say, there are a whole bunch of baby boomers that are currently yeah. brewing beer that have no idea what a podcast is. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. If, if we're talking all time, I'm sure there are more people who have brewed beer than who have made podcasts. Oh. Well, I all even, time, obviously, because yeah. since we right. became civilization, we've been brewing beer. I, I think, no, I think... You're looking like, at billions versus, like, I don't know, hundreds of thousands? Yeah. No, I was I was thinking the same thing as Nick that you know there's there's you know sixty year old guys, fifty year old guys, forty year old guys who yeah who don't even listen to podcasts or know what a podcast is and they're brewing beer. But there are a lot of people who make podcasts that just have zero audience. But there there there's for themselves. I think you're just more like likely us. to have I think you're yeah. more likely to have someone who has a podcast and also brews beer as I, opposed to the other way around. True. Yeah. So they'd be counted twice, like once in both. And then you're going to have everyone who doesn't do a podcast but brews beer. We we can land on that side. I all agree, I'll concede yeah. that you're probably right. Um, but I will say that unscientifically, people who make podcasts are statistically almost 100% likely to also enjoy beer. I've never heard of anyone who does podcasts that doesn't like beer. I've actually heard of a lot of what podcasts about- where they make a point to drink beer. Yeah, what, and what it's about, not just Ottawa. It's a bunch of other ones too. What about the AA podcast? Is that real? They like it too much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that sounds like kind of a problem. They like it too much. <laughs> so, Nick, we can, we can get to you now. I want to know. I'm really interested now because we didn't talk about it before we started. Um, you, for those people who don't know, in Ontario the sale of alcohol is extremely limited. Uh, Very regulated. Regulated is the better word. Um, and so why don't you you just talk a bit about that, Nick, and then get to the, the issues you have with it. So the two places, well, three places you can buy, four places you can buy uh, alcohol in Ontario. You can buy it directly from microbreweries or like brew pubs or something like that. Um, and restaurants. Those are licensed under what I believe is the LLBO, the Liquor Licensing Board of Ontario. You can buy from the LCBO, which is the Liquor Control Board of Ontario. These are all like Prohibition era dinosaurs that still exist. Um, And it's worth noting that the LCBO provides like what is it, like half of Ontario's income or something like that? It might. It's probably not that high, but it's a lot. It also takes half of Ontario's income. Right. <laughs> the Ontario Student Loan and the Ontario like Liquor Control Board is just like a little multiplier cycle. <laughs> but uh, um, no. So like it, it's to the point where like when we first read about the statistics and we cracked open something from the LCBO to Ontario. To her roads and schools and bridges that we are contributing to and stuff like that. But the other one is the beer store where they can only sell beer under... Sorry? That's three. 
Yeah, so where's four? LLB restaurants, uh, microbreweries. Oh, okay. LCBO beer they store. Have, they have the, the wine beer rack. store. The wine rack. Okay. The beer store and what about the casinos? L- that would count as a restaurant. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Or you know anyway. Yeah. So the LCBO and the br- the beer store are two separate entities. The uh, it was another prohibition era project where and they can only sell like malt liquor under ten percent or something like that. Um, and it is owned, I think, I want to say it's forty seven and a half percent by Labatt, forty seven and a half percent by Molson and three percent by Sleeman. The problem with that. Well, Sleeman was also there, How but there possibly be a problem with that. Isn't Sleeman okay. owned by Molson? So hold on, I'm getting there. The problem with that model, it's like it's actually called Brewers Retail, like the official name of it, because it was put on by the brewers. The problem with that is that I believe Labatt is now owned by InBev. Molson is now Molson Coors, an international conglomerate. And I think Sleeman is owned by Anheuser Busch or something. Oh, it was one. It's either Molson or yeah, it's either Molson or Budweiser. I don't know. Yeah, so like, it, well, no, it was Keith originally. Keith. Sorry. Is Keith's no, Keith, owned by Molson? Keith's is owned by Labatt's, which is in turn owned by InBev. Oh. Okay. So, so the problem with that is it was you know a Canadian solution, like you had Canadian brewers coming together and running this distri- dis- distribution system, but it's not that anymore. They have a pseudo-monopoly, and it's run by international conglomerates. It's not for the benefit of Canadian companies anymore. It's not for the benefit of Canadian consumers, because I can't possibly imagine that we benefit from having a pseudo-monopoly run by the brewers themselves who profit from the product. It's like having, it's like going to a car dealership now. Right, and that's all you need. <laughs> Just here, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and so it's it's a pseudo monopoly, but not actually by like Canadian companies. So we don't even get the benefit from that. The profits go to like Japan and Belgium and. Canada, U.S. I'm not, sure where they're, I'm not sure where their official headquarters are. I think, like, honestly, Denver is probably the bigger deal than Montreal. But yeah, that's that's my issue with uh, Brewers Retail. So what, in, in less than 100 words, what would your solution be to start? Privatize beer sales. So just take it back to what everyone else is doing. Yeah, honestly, like, and this is a separate rant. I don't count this in the hundred words. <laughs> Since finding out that, uh, like, beer came around at about the same time as agriculture, like, I think, like, beer and civilization have just, for so long, how do you keep that out of the hands of the people? How do you regulate such a thing? <laughs> Should be a human right, I say. To buy beer. We've had, we've had beer longer than we've had a right to free speech. 
so are you legally you're obviously legally entitled to sell or not sell to give away the beer that you make or to let people drink it with you but are you allowed to sell it like I sure hope so <laughs> I can't I don't I think it would be illegal for me to like sell or barter yeah what about exchange that that sounds like bartering to me. <laughs> well, I mean, if someone brought over a few pizzas and I let them into the fridge for a beverage, I don't see how that could possibly. <laughs> see, and and if they came over and they happened to leave five dollars on the table, then you know, it was like you can't, you can't stop that. It's like, what are you gonna do? Don't like... joke about that. I actually think I could get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's the thing that they're cracking down on. Yeah, like pico brewers or addo brewers like myself. <laughs> Someone just like leaves a 20 on the table. I'm like, no! Really <laughs> filthy money that I can't accept. Just like take it out to the backyard and burn it right there. Except that would Which be the also illegal. Yeah. yeah, this is just... Where do, what are my options here? <laughs> you have to just drink it all, I guess. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> I like beer. Yeah. Uh, so one of the last things that I have here to talk about uh, is going back a bit to the future thing. One of, and maybe this is just me because I'm naive and fairly young. I've only been drinking for six years. Um, is these things like mini kegs. Nick, and Nick and I were discussing uh, just before 1230 the, the bubba of beer, uh, coming up with new methods of storing and distributing alcohol. So I don't know if this... The, obviously, for, for a long time, people have been brewing beer and storing it in kegs, like regular full-size kegs, but these new mini kegs are, are very intriguing to me. Um... You know what we need is pipelines. I was I was actually just thinking about that. No, I need to. <laughs> I was like, you know, how do you distribute a fluid yeah. like across it? Well, actually, we could we could set up like, maybe like start water, brewing. Comes out, water more. comes out of a tap, so the next logical leap would be exactly. Yeah. We would brew with the beer up north, and then we would have some kind yeah. of pipeline to bring it down. Yeah. South to Canada and to the U.S. And it would self-chill. <laughs> <laughs> we would store it far enough underground that it would be cold, but not so far that it would be hot. Exactly. <laughs> the, loggers you, the loggers you brew, like, slightly farther north, so it's <laughs> colder. This is a brilliant idea. I, I was thinking more about the mini kegs, but... Yeah. <laughs> I'm so I glad know, I was like, the only one thinking about pipelines. <laughs> I, well, where do you even go for mini kegs, though? I mean, and I mean Heineken still does them, but I don't know of that many breweries that still do it. There was one. Yeah, I forget. I forget what beer it was, but it. <clears throat> and we actually we couldn't get it to work properly. It would just it would give out like ninety percent foam. <laughs> uh, but it, it actually came with a like. A uh, little CO2 cartridge that you'd pop out of a little nook and cranny, and open it, and then you'd tap it that like you'd tap it with a little lever. Um, but it was, it was basically self-carbonating 
at the time of opening instead of before. Hmm. Which I thought was pretty oh good. okay. Although it didn't again, it didn't work. It didn't really. It was all foam and so kind of like a soda stream, but like actually in Reddit's homebrewing subreddit. Yeah. Um, a guy recently posted results of force carbonating with a soda stream. Didn't work. Where did it go? It sounds like it didn't work. It worked. No, oh. it worked. Like he showed it. It was a beer with a head. Like hmm. the difference between what I'm doing here with like bottle conditioning and force carbonating, like when you're kegging a beer, you don't um, you usually filter out all the yeast and then force carbonate it with carbon dioxide so it's uh, foamy. But honestly, a soda stream, same difference. Mm-hmm. Like you're just force carbonating something with high pressure. So you would take a flat beer that you just made and then you'd run it through a soda stream and instantly you'd have, I mean... Yeah, the only difference is, like, I'm I'm carbonating with biological action and you're carbonating with high-pressure carbon dioxide. Right, but so... Would, the result would that, is the same. Would that shorten, if you bought a soda stream, would that shorten your process a lot? If you wanted um, to beer. Well, you can also, like, carbonate a keg, like as home brewers do. They just do it with, like, larger gas canisters. Okay. Interesting. So, I don't know if you if you guys have anything else more you want to add, but, but before we go, I want to know how it turned out, Nick, taste-wise. Um, I'm pretty impressed, actually. Like, it's still a little sweet, and time will take care of that because it did with the last brew. Um, and I think it's just a touch strong. Is that bad or is that good? <laughs> you sort of phrased it badly. It's neither bad nor good, but I was getting towards the end of it and going, I'm feeling that one. <laughs> no, the other thing is, like, I'm not... I should actually look into how much a contribution it is, but you put a little extra sugar when you're about to bottle, and that's so that the yeast have something to eat as they carbonate the beer further. And uh, so the alcohol will be just a little higher than what it was supposed to be. <laughs> the In an IPA, like they, often IPAs will be at a slightly higher per alcohol percentage because the alcohol actually solvates the flavor of the hops, so it keeps the hop flavor in the beer. Hmm. And so it was a little high to start with, and uh, soon I will get up and walk around, and I will really know how strong it was. <laughs> well, I hope you'll let us know. Because <laughs> this, this is your second bout of brewing. Yes, I am going to do so much more. It's wonderful. <laughs> the beer is tasty and... Back of the envelope calculations indicate it's roughly on the same price range as milk is. So, <laughs> lovely. Can't uh, go wrong there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is there anything else either of you want to add or or ask or? Oh, I have a really exciting note. Um, beer drives the Canadian economy. <laughs> yes. I think I can't remember off the top of my head. It was at least like one percent of the on, Ontario's economy comes from beer, like the craft brewers and the bottlers 
and the hop growers and the barley growers, like they're all in the same province or same country maybe. So like there's a whole economic multiplier that happens just within Canada. Mm-hmm. So beer built Western civilization and it continues to drive it forward. <laughs> I don't know if 1% counts as driving, but they're at least nudging. I'll That's take it. One. It's the 1% that puts us above where we would have been without it. And then you yeah. have the I feel like my quality of life, my quality of life is 1% better from having <laughs> beer in the country. Yeah. And then you drink it yourself and it's so much more than that. <laughs> Completely agree. <laughs> Are you guys happy with where we've ended up? I, I'm fairly, I'm fairly satisfied. We should probably do another episode or five. We we probably should. Yeah, so much more to talk about. <laughs> I will continue to learn beer, and then we can do another. We'll just call it beer, and we'll just drink. <laughs> <laughs> you know um, the problem with wine is. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to say for the, I think this is the second time, if you've made it this far, which I hope you have in the episode, go and follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook. Um, plus us, actually, Google Plus. Well, plus us and... and Circle us, I guess. Us. Yeah. yeah. We, we've been one, gaining momentum. A, a third of the total views of the YouTube videos and the Google Plus page have come in the last month. Nice. Wow. So we're gaining steam. Are they all from like India and Pakistan? No. No, that's good. And someone... no, no offense, no offense to Indians and Pakistanis, but just no, that's far away. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. More there of the people... click, click farm type views as opposed to. There are people in our circles that do not know any of us. You're that kidding. Was, that was my goal. No. We need we need to change that though. Hi, strange people. We need to change that. We need, to, <laughs> we need to get people only that know us. No, we need to get to know the people that are watching us. That's fine. That's true. Well, yeah. we've always, I've always said uh, the Q&A app is open on every episode, and we've had a couple questions, but there hasn't been one in this episode so far. But ask questions if you have them. Yeah. None about free energy. Or just make comments. Unless they're about free energy, then don't ask. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I think that's a good that's a good place to stop, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Do tech chat next week. Next, yeah, next week we might. I guess sleep seems like a pretty good, or maybe just activity tracking in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, yeah, that does yeah. sound good. Because I didn't do I didn't do my research this week that we talked about last week about doing installing a sleep app and using it. Yeah. <laughs> But this week, let's do that, and then we'll see how it goes. Okay. So we're all gonna install, we're all gonna install sleep apps. Well, or just use the ones that we. Already I'm have. already there. Like I've been doing it for the past couple weeks. Oh. Okay. Maybe I'll have to start then. I'll start with Android and Apple, and I'll compare yeah. them. Okay. <laughs> that sounds good. All right. I'll talk to you guys later. See you guys next week. See you later. Bye.